0: Welcome to the 9to5Killers podcast, an explorative and insightful journey inside the minds of some of the most successful entrepreneurs who have killed their day jobs to pursue their passions. Streets raise me,
1: born in Hades' baby,
0: Lord save
1: me, cause today I'm going crazy with this bullshit, bullshit, bullshit,
0: crazy with this bullshit, bullshit, bullshit.
1: Welcome to season four, episode four of the 95 Killers podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Graham. And today's guest is a fashion designer and founder of Ugly Duckling, a clothing brand that aspires to bring change through fashion, music, art, and world education. Ugly Duckling lives in the space of luxury streetwear, providing high-end accessories and unique elevated pieces. The founder of Ugly Duckling believes that everyone has felt like an Ugly Duckling at one point in their lives and through adversity became the swan they were destined to become. Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce the founder and designer of Ugly Duckling, Mr. Francis London, to the 95 Killers podcast. Welcome to the show, my brother. A pleasure to have you here.
0: Wow, oh, man. Appreciate it, man. What's going on? How you doing, man? I'm,
1: I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling blessed. I'm glad I was able to reach you. Where's your, your family from? Because I noticed I saw some photos online. It looked like you guys are, I thought you was like Jamaican, but where you
0: guys from? I work, I'm Ghanaian. Both my parents are from Ghana. So, yeah, I'm Ghanaian, man. And West Ga- Ghana is or West Africa. Yeah, West wow. Africa. Yeah, yeah. How long have you been in the States? I've been in the States since 1989. 1989. 1989 is So you I were born here? In. No, I was born in London. So my mom and dad had me in London. My dad got deported back uh to Ghana and then um he ended up in the States. But yeah, they met in London, and I was born in London. And you have brothers and sisters? I have two brothers. And they're younger or older than you? Uh, two younger brothers. And you said your dad got deported. Did yeah, you share his, a little bit of that? Like, I what mean, his papers wasn't right. You know, he came to London illegally. Or I think yeah, he came on a visa, and his visa expired. So he got deported. He Did he ever deported. make it back to the States? Yeah, but he got his papers. He got a job through Trailways back in the day, which was like greyhound. And that's how he got his work permit and was able to come to the States. That's a deep story.
1: Yeah. When you first, like, were growing up, what were some of your earlier inspirations?
0: I'm from the era where I grew up in a household with a grandmother. Parents were absent at the time working. My dad was in the, in the States at the time, and my mom was in London. And my grandma would watch us while my mom would work. But then around when I was six, my mom moved to the States to go with my dad. So I got to see my grandmother and my older aunt just hustle. They were workers, so I I saw that work mentality, and that was like one of my first inspirations. I always wanted to be like them as far as hustling. What kind of hustling, what kind of work were they doing, your grandma? Well, the funny part is, I never knew what my aunt did for a living. I just knew she worked, and she worked a lot of hours. And then my grandma is crazy. My grandma didn't really work. She would get government assistance. My grandma grocery shopping with my grandma was unique. She was one of the best thieves in the world. My grandma wore this cape. So what she would do is she'll put canned goods in there and lunch meat, and by the time we get home, I mean, she got food ready for us on the table. We ain't have it back then. I mean, my grandma was left with eight grandchildren to watch over while my mother was in the States and my aunt was working. Wow. So that's how we grew up. I grew up with ten people in a two-bedroom flat. So you can imagine. You, you know said ten I mean? people in a what? Two-bedroom flat. So in London we call an apartment flat. So I grew up in a two-bedroom apartment. My grandma and my aunt had one room, and then me and my cousins, we had, and me, and my, me and my cousins and my brothers, we had the other room. So it was two bunk beds and eight eight kids
1: how did that shape you like the fact that seeing your grandmother like doing that from early on
0: you know i had two younger brothers and then i had two younger cousins so you know i was like the third oldest cousin so you know i had a lot of responsibility so with that i had to mature real early
1: what are some of the your earlier experiences in terms of like deciding because you grew up in a kind of hustler society Mm -hmm. so what made you decide to go like
0: legit i would see my older cousin he would hustle in the street and i saw what that life did for him so i didn't want that and i never wanted to disappoint my mom and my dad because at the time I met my dad one time so I really didn't have a relationship with my dad per se but I just knew he was present but I didn't want to disappoint them so that's why you know I always stayed on the on the narrow you know what I mean when I was younger right and you had a cousin you said that what happened with him what was this what did you see he was the older cousin so he had to find ways to make money he would just hustle or come up with various ways to make money illegally in the end it didn't work for him Um, it didn't work, but eventually it did as you know, he's right now a successful businessman, but like when he was younger, yeah, he went through a whole lot, yeah. What was one of your first jobs that you can remember? And what age were you? Shoot, a real job? I really never had a real job until I got to the States. I can't even remember it, it's been so long. Oh no, I worked at Walmart in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the shoe department, matter of fact. So I worked, uh, that was my first job, the shoe department. How old yeah, were Walmart. you? I was probably 16, 17 at the time. What do you remember about that experience and how it shaped who you are today? Well, I, Well, fashion is crazy. When I look back at it now, I got to see how brands would mimic authentic brands and how people with less money, having a cheaper version was sufficient. I learned that a lot from from like the earlier stages so that's what I learned growing up early like everything that seems real ain't always real, you know what I'm saying? So right, wow. Yeah, from wow. early age, yeah.
1: Because when I see the person in front of me, so you had to, so you had Walmart, and that was it.
0: So after Walmart, you worked after Walmart. I went to the military. I went straight out of high school to the military. How old were you when you went to the military? I was 19. You was 19. Straight out of high school. Yep. 18, going to 19. Yep. What made you decide to go to the military? I was running away from my pops. I knew uh, I couldn't live in a house with him anymore. I mean, I wanted to go away. I knew college wasn't good for me because I was struggling since eighth grade to 12th grade academically. So the military was the best option for me. And I didn't want to stay back because I knew what I was going to do if I would have stayed. Did going to the military, what what did that have? What kind of effect did that have on you? Oh, it shaped me up Oh, discipline. I mean, I had discipline for my father because my father was very militant, but like work-wise, like work ethic, I learned to hurry up and wait. I learned to- (laughs) Wait, 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 what's that? What's hurry up and wait? Hurry up and wait in the military, means if we tell you to be there at eight o'clock, that means seven 30. Don't come in there at eight o'clock cause you're late. You know what I'm saying? So I learned to hurry up and wait, you know what I mean? Give yourself some time to prepare. I'm usually, I usually beat people places
1: and you actually are the probably the first person that has ever been somewhere before me, cause you was up here oh, all day. Oh yeah, man. <laughs>
0: and and, and, and I, I kinda like to scan the area. You know what I mean? Part of my military training, I'm always that guy to get there early and, you know, just watch and make sure I'm straight. You know what I'm saying? How many years did you serve in the military? Oh, I got kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> wait, you, got, wait, you yeah. got to tell the story about that one. Yeah, I got. Well, you know, I was young, 19. I fell in love, had a child young, and I didn't want to be in the military no more. I wanted to be a rapper at the time. I was pursuing that. I got hooked on drugs while I was out there. Just so much that I went through, yeah, they ended up kicking me out, which I wanted to. And after that, cause I had my son and I wanted to raise my son. I knew I couldn't raise my son with a German local in the military, wasn't going to work. So you was you was stationed in, in, in Germany? Yeah, I was stationed in Mannheim, Germany, yep. So how long were you in the military before you uh, got kicked out? Um, I was in there maybe two years and six months. Uh, I got kicked out a couple months before my actual uh, enlistment was over I did I listed for three years and didn't make it you didn't make (laughs) it three years you were like I'm not doing it it. nah (laughs) nah I was having too much fun well
1: I'll tell you how I discovered you online briefly uh, when I saw you online I remember you was sitting next to this designer and I was I usually stalk people so I I try to find people for the interviews and I saw you with this designer and I had been stalking him and watching what he does I couldn't find a reason to really work with him because I'm a vibe person I couldn't feel Mm -hmm. a vibe off the internet so one thing I always tell people, when you are online uh, and other people don't know you, what we see is, we it's not fair, but people kind of get a read of you based off what they see.
0: Yeah.
1: No one's gonna like really take the time out to be like, well, let me meet him. They look online, they see something that looks a little strange, they kinda like, I don't know. So I saw in one picture, he was sitting with you and you had like, I think you had a mask on or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, who is this guy? Cause I couldn't see your face. Yep. And I like that because it made me curious. And then when I got curious, I did some check-in on you. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I noticed is your attention to detail, like with your packaging
0: mm-hmm. of,
1: your, of your design work. Mm-hmm. How, did you, how did you come to this level of like just packaging and, and,
0: and presentation? So Virgil, when Virgil told the world that streetwear was dead. Wait, wait, who's Virgil? I know, Virgil but for who you don't know. Uh-huh. For those who don't know, the late, Virgil Abloh, may he rest in peace, who happens to be West African, he's Ghanaian. I mean, you could just know that my admiration for him is a lot more personal because he's, you know, we from the same country. And he was a designer, right? He's a designer too. He's known for designing for Louis Vuitton. But he had said streetwear was dead. And I noticed that amongst black designers, we don't focus on the packaging part, which separates most luxury or premium brands. Now the pieces are beautiful, but what keeps them is the packaging. It lets the consumer know you actually care. And packaging to me meant so much back in the early eighties and nineties, growing up when you would buy a CD. I'm a hip hop fan. And you remember back in the day, you go grab the CD, you open a CD, you'd see who the producer was, the credits, how it was packaged. So I always told myself, when I come out with a brand packaging, must be, I wanna give people the same experience that I was given when I used to purchase CDs back in the day or when I used to purchase top premium streetwear brands. So I knew I had to make sure my packaging was on the same level as my competitors. So that's what I did and that's what sets me apart.
1: I love that. Two questions for you. So the first thing is I wanna just clarify for anybody listening,
0: mm-hmm. what, what's classified as a street brand? To be honest, Glenn, that word is so watered down, but to me, streetwear is a core brand that represents the five pillars of hip-hop. Streetwear came from hip-hop. We are the ones that put Adidas where they are right now. If it wasn't for Run DMC, we wouldn't be rocking no Adidas. If it wasn't for Dapper Dan, we wouldn't be rocking Gucci, Prada, Fendi. Um, if it wasn't for Misa Hilton, who's from the streets, who's from New York. You know, all these, all these trendsetters were from the streets. So that's where the core, that's where the core heart of streetwear is from the street. So streetwear to me is, you know, the core foundation, the five pillars of hip hop, which was breaking, graffiti, DJing, um, the MC. And what's the fifth one? I'm, I'm, um, I'm forgetting, but, you know, forgive yeah. me right now. But you no, know, what I, I'm I appreciate that. Yeah. So
1: do you feel like being classified as a streetwear brand? Would hold you somewhere, like you said, like your one of your idols said that it was it was dead. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like street streetwear, um, the brand, like being a streetwear brand, would hold you uh, at a certain position and not let you rise higher?
0: No, because I knew what he meant. Virgil was saying, "Look, my black designers, I need you to do more than just a t-shirt and a hoodie. I need you to jump into this, into this. I need you to jump into this, you know, this world with me." Make accessories, make wallets, make bags, you know, show show that you have different palettes because we all just, you know, we all get used to just making hoodies, hats and T-shirts, maybe a jacket. And that's it. We never think that we could make a luxury duffel bag or a luxury wallet, premium wallet, premium duffel bag, however you want to word it. Um, I would never say luxury because luxury means life. A, a life brand more than fifty years, and there's not one luxury <laughs> um, um, minority brand out there. Period. So that's where I'm trying to get to. But you, I want to show people that you know there's the black designers that could do the same thing they do. I appreciate that. And yeah. one of the
1: things that you said when you talked about building a brand and and having it be something to be recognized over mm-hmm. time, talking about legacy, right? Yep. Why do you think that there are people that don't go into lanes like going, making the leather wallet or making the bag?
0: Not thinking that they can actually do it what is for one, because we don't get to see. Um, the only one we know about really is Telefar. And it didn't take him. What was I mean, that? Telefar. I don't know who that is. No, tele, He makes Telefar bags. Oh, oh. Yeah. He's, he's, satchel bags? He, satchel say? bags, purses. Um, he's been doing it. He's been killing it. And he's actually the only designer right now, minority designer that's on that level where he's known for his bags. But one, we don't think we can do it, and then the pricing is it's expensive. It's expensive. And you gotta study. Handbags is not like wholesale. You can't wholesale a handbag. You can't wholesale a handbag. I mean you can, but if you really wanna make one, you gotta know how to make a duffel bag. You gotta know dimensions. You gotta know the hardware. You gotta know the different type of leathers. You know what I mean? You gotta know the difference between genuine leather with poly, poly the, I can't even say it right. Poly- Polyurethane? Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Cause some levers are mixed with polyurethane the yeah. and, and they'll say it's genuine leather and that's not genuine leather. So, you know, there's different levels, you know, so.
1: So I noticed you, you know quite a bit about design. Like I, mm-hmm. even when I saw your, some of your stuff, your, I went to your website mm-hmm. and your website was as clean if not than any of the luxury brands that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And my question to you is how did you get so educated about design in the first place?
0: I studied, I put in over 30,000 hours. I studied so much that it, it jeopardized my first marriage because I was insanely, insanely driven to start this brand. Cause I knew the vision. I knew some things had to take, I know some things I knew I was going to lack certain things in my marriage and it's in my life because I knew I had to put this brand. So I put in a lot of hours, a lot of hours, a lot of studying other brands. So that's how I got to where I'm at. Did you use the internet
1: at all to like the study or was it all book stuff? Was
0: Um, Mainly, you know what's funny though? I used hip hop. Um, That's how I got to study. What I do is I normally watch all the old school videos all the old school videos, because that's where I see how streetwear was created. So that's where I get my, my visions or my inspirations. Internet, I get, that's where I'm able to touch and find the pulse of streetwear and contemporary streetwear. So I use the internet just to see, you know, the pulse of the culture. Right. So the name of your brand is called Ugly Duckling. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me the story? How did you get that name? Okay. So, all right. I'm gonna make it brief.
1: No, don't make it brief, we got time, brother.
0: Okay, so I came up with Ugly Duckling in 11th grade. And the reason why I came up with Ugly Duckling, I was in study hall and I had to read a book. I was, you know, if, you know, in high school, you gotta go do study hall. And I came up on a book called Ugly Duckling and I just picked it because it had a lot of pictures. It just looked attractive to me. I put, picked the book and when I read it, the story, was similar to how I was raised. I grew up from an ugly duckling, which the ugly duckling was born different from his siblings. He was picked on a lot. He went through life with finding it hard to be loved. And um, eventually through trials and tribulations, he grew up to be the swan. So that just intrigued me right there. And at the time I was a rapper in high school. So ugly duckling was my rap name. And then when I got real serious about the brand, I knew that I wanted to spell Ugly Duckling different than the actual book. So at the time, you know, Biggie's one of my favorite rappers. So I took Brooklyn, L-Y-N, added that to Ugly Duckling. And then I'm from I was born in London, England. So I took the C out. So the, you know, the U and the K, which, you know, resembles United Kingdom that represents and lets me know where I was born. You know what I'm saying? And then ugly, I took that and made that stand for understand God loves you. So whenever somebody would call me ugly, I would just take that term and just say, all right, I understand God loves me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's how I broke down ugly duckling, phonetically and then visually.
1: I love that. Oh, thank and, you. And what you said about making sure that you stayed the course and, and you have to sacrifice,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, you said that you lost your first marriage like that. Mm-hmm. What, what else have you sacrificed in pursuit of this business? Oh, f-
0: friendships, relationships, especially, you know, cause when you starting a brand or anything or a business, you know, you need support and then you'll find out who's really there to support you. And you'll also find out what people, uh, people view your worth. I lost a lot of friendships immediate family especially because of this because of my love and back then no one thought that my brand would be where it is but i did so i look crazy i look crazy for a long time and i'm now just reaping the benefits but i look crazy to a lot of people for a long time but i knew i didn't care i knew i knew this day would come
1: no i i, I love the fact that you were you stuck with it i, I tell the story also where I worked a, a job and when I first did my first hat I had the podcast 95 killers and when I did my first hat I remember I bought like 50 um I went with my girlfriend she said why are you buying so many I said I'm dead I'm gonna it's gonna happen and when I went to work and I told uh, the wrong coworker, and he said to me man how much are you selling those for 45 nobody's gonna spend $45 for that. who are you that's not even a new era. He taught, he started telling me everything that it wasn't. And he said, and he put doubt and I said, and I said, what are you talking about, Glenn? I just took that anger and I said, you know what? I got to do it. And every day he asked me. And then when I made my first sale, he asked me the next day. And then when it was like three or four or five, he stopped asking. And the beautiful part for me is when I went back to the store, he said, I always knew. So they always go for me, my experience, people go from uh, I don't believe in you, so when you make it, I always knew.
0: Mm-hmm. Certain family members, especially, you know, I'm, uh, like I said, West African. So my parents are old-fashioned. My parents are first-generation West African. I'm second-generation. So they just believe in stuff that makes sense or stuff that they can grab, like a degree. And a lot of things that I did, I did it for them. I went to school. I pursued and got my teaching degree because I wanted to keep my parents happy, but that wasn't that wasn't me. So now I think my mom just started maybe two years ago is when she started telling people that her son's a designer and that she's very proud of me. But for years, you know, she wasn't feeling it. <laughs> she wasn't. How'd how that make you feel like to not have the support of your mother? Um, um in your in your it drove me. It gave me drive, like, all right. You don't think I could do this? Oh, watch, watch. I didn't get mad or got bitter because I know where, I know her error. And for her error, that doesn't make sense. You know what I'm saying? What was the
1: turning point for you when you, she believed in what you were doing?
0: When she saw the product and actually saw the aesthetic and she started seeing, you know, it looked like an actual brand. And that's when she was like, wow. And then she saw, of course, when people start buying your stuff. Cause I remember I did a t-shirt to my mom took a picture when she was pregnant with me and my mom was very stylish. It was the seventies. She's on a wall. And so I took that picture and turned it into a t-shirt and it was a bestseller. And I I showed her and she was like, why would somebody spend this much money on this t-shirt with my face? Uh, She couldn't even fathom the fact that it was dope. Like she was just like, who would do it? And then when she saw it, cause then I showed her and she was like, wow, she couldn't even believe it. And then she was like, wow, you used me. Like you used me. I'm like, mom, you was dope in the seventies. Where where do you think I get this from? You know what I'm saying? So yeah, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. But um, I'm also going to say though, my mom did support me, but, it was it was weird. It's it's just different. It's not the support that most kids would want to get from a parent. You know, I mean, my dad never supported me. Period. Like, you know <laughs> mean? So, but my mom is still one of my real inspirations. Like, as far as uh, where I get my hustle from, and she's the one that introduced me to designing, even though I didn't know it but she was the one. If it wasn't How your her. mother,
1: that's interesting. What would your mother doing? in that? Also, day?
0: when my mother was young, when she lived in London, she would work at a sewing place and she would sew. My mom would sew. So when she didn't have any babysitters, she would take me and I was young and I would play underneath her little sewing machine station and I would watch and I would hear the sound of the sewing machines. Hmm. And then I would see the garments and how it paste Put everything together so you know that for me is what turned me on I always loved fashion and then my dad is one of the most swaggiest people ever like my dad like I look at pictures of my dad when he was young and I know that's where I get that from so I get the hustle from my mom and then the swag from my dad and put that two together it's just crazy so shout out to them though you know what I mean no, I love it I love I love the the, the way you're driven and
1: And getting in normal about your family gives me an insight into like why you're so driven.
0: Um, I'm very intentional. I think what you're saying is intentional and I pay attention to detail, meaning my website and my social media have to align. My products have to align with my aesthetic. Prime example, when I started Ugly Duckling, you know, I would do t-shirts, hats and everything. But when I created that duffel bag, The leather one, right? The leather one. That's beautiful, man. Thank you. We did two versions, a leather and a suede. But when I created that duffel bag, now my brand didn't match because I had an $800 duffel bag and I knew I couldn't bring out a $20 t-shirt or a 30, 40. It didn't make sense. So I elevated my brand when I wasn't really supposed to or wanted to. So then I had to rebrand and say, wow, how am I going to get a consumer to buy a duffel bag and a t-shirt and how am I going to get a t-shirt to be on the same price point as a duffel bag. So once I was able to do that, that's how I was able to make all my connections dot, you know, across my T's and dot my I's because I had to elevate everything to match up with the duffel bag.
1: So how'd you elevate your, your, your t-shirt and your other stuff to
0: match? I left bag? wholesale. I left wholesale and went in a cut and sew. I left China, Chinese manufacturers, no disrespect to Chinese manufacturers. I outsourced overseas, Europe, Pakistan, and that's how I was able to upgrade my, my merchandise, upgrade my fabrics. Mm-hmm. How do you, how
1: does one educate somebody from going from using Chinese? Brand? Cause I, I, you heard of Alibaba. I'm sure yeah, yeah. You, oh. you, you use that or no. Yes, I do. You do. Okay. And
0: I can tell you how to use Alibaba. Now, if anybody's on Alibaba, this is free game. If you want a good manufacturer on Alibaba, look at the ratings. Make sure when you look at their ratings, when you look at delivery time, it's at 80% or higher and you always gotta look for a verified check from any manufacturer on Alibaba. Before you Alibaba. go any further,
1: tell people what Alibaba is so they know. Oh, like break so it down.
0: Alibaba is a Chinese market where you could basically get anything, wholesale, they'll manufacture it for you from cell phones to clothes to light fictions, whatever. Alibaba's like the Walmart of manufacturing and they have a lot of factories and that's how I was able to find out the greatest factories is because they gotta be verified. They gotta have that check. And when they verify, look to see how long they've been in business for. So I look for companies that are four five to seven years or longer in business. And then also look for their production rate. Because if you want to make something right, let's say you want 50 t-shirts, you wanna make sure that they can produce your stuff within a 60, 90 day frame. If they don't and their production rate is low, I won't mess with them. You know what I mean? There's a lot.
1: What's your experience with like a low production rate?
0: Oh, I mean, you lose a lot of money. You lose a lot of money. That's why you gotta get on the schedule. I always tell designers, if you have a brand and you wanna order for a season, you gotta order four to five months out because it's gonna take about 90 days to make it. If you're producing pieces, 100 or more, 90 days to make it, then you gotta talk about shipping. So then it takes, if you're doing air, which is expensive, you talk about five, seven days, right? Then when it gets there, then you gotta get a a broker, then it gotta clear uh, customs. And then when it clears customs, then you gotta take it to wherever your storage is and then break it down and then deliver it out. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, it's a lot. How were you able to afford that? It sounds like a a pricey thing. Oh, very, very, I sacrificed. That's the part of sacrifice. I sacrificed going out, I sacrificed buying a car. I sacrificed traveling, like vacations. I lived the bare minimum to get to where I am. Wow. The bare minimum, (laughs) you know? And so
1: how was that for the person that you were with?
0: I'm not married, I just started dating. Okay. Um, So I was, shoot, I got divorced and shoot, I've been divorced now, what, six, seven years, Mm -hmm. you know? And so almost eight, so I just started dating for seven months, so it's new to me. But I sacrificed a lot. And matter of fact, the young lady, the beautiful young lady I'm talking to, she met me when I was like still struggling. It just so happened that stuff started picking up. But yeah, she didn't meet me at the as the designer I am that had the money and no, 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 no. Like there was times where she was feeding me and taking me out, you know what I'm wow. saying? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's, let's,
1: let's touch a little bit on that for a minute, yeah, right? As that. a person that's a designer and mm-hmm. as a person who's an artist, mm-hmm. how does that feel to like know that you have this thing and and not get deterred? Because a lot of people, especially, <laughs> and I won't say I want to generalize, but mm-hmm. men see themselves as a the provider. Mm-hmm. So what happens when you haven't materialized it yet and then your lady has to do that? Did it, did it have effect oh, no, on you?
0: No. Yeah, but then you just gotta find that right one that understands. She knew that I had a good reason why. It wasn't like I don't have a good reason. She saw like, okay, wow, this guy is independent. He has a dope brand and has no back end. So, okay, it makes sense. And she knew that there's real estate and all I had to do was sell the stuff. So she knew, I'm, you know, you're eventually gonna get it. But, you know, I just had to get me a solid woman, like a solid woman, you know what I'm saying? Oh, so, I love that, thank you for sharing that. that oh, yeah. I think that a lot of folks get sidetracked by
1: perception of what other people think and, and the closer somebody is to us sometimes mm-hmm. that affects what we put out. Can you touch on a time where that has affected you in any way, somebody being around and you said, I I like what they're doing, but they're not intentional enough for me.
0: Yeah, I used to, you know, I was, I tell you a quick story from the South Jersey area. So there was a few brands and there was just one guy, one designer, like we were real cool, real tight. And my vision was my vision, his vision was his vision. We had a discrepancy, but for us having our first discrepancy, and I felt like this was like a brother to me, he went left, very, he got very disrespectful. And for me, I was like, you know what? I gotta pivot. Not only do I got to pivot, I got to pivot from this kind of level of design. I knew I had to go up a notch. Wait, what do you mean like this level of design? Meaning I was leaving wholesale. Got it, got it. So I knew I had to leave wholesale and in order to do cut and sew, I wanted to stay away from this kind of design world. I knew I had elevated. So you know I said, you know what, I took the disrespect. I said, okay, no worries you will see what I'm gonna do later. It doesn't make sense, but you'll see. And it was funny, I seen him at Philly Fashion Week. He was like, yo, I see what you're doing, man. <laughs> you know, good That's look. Good. You know, I keep it pushing, <laughs> but you know, I had to just pivot because people are weird, man. People are weird.
1: Wow. One thing I've learned from just talking with you, you share knowledge. That's why I was like, I, I gotta talk to this guy. I gotta have him mm-hmm. on the podcast. And something that you told me about is, you told me about Art Basil. Right, mm-hmm. so can you tell us what Art Basel is? Okay, and 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 why, as a designer, do you go to Art Basel?
0: Okay, so Art Basel is a place in Miami, once a year, normally in December, where it's a hub for art, and everybody that's into art, because you know art is so many vast uh, facets of art uh contemporary street, high end, and everybody comes. And it's like a place for all crea- creatives to, you know, create and talk and like vibe. So that's why I go. I get a lot of inspiration to go to Art Basel. And then I, I meet a lot of people too. And you know, it's just good to connect. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's good to connect. So yeah, I've been doing Art Basel now for the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna be. At the, I'm at the
1: next one with you because you oh, invited yeah. you invited me this time. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. It was funny. We <laughs> when I spoke to you, you was like, you should go, Glenn. And I was thinking, man, I would, but I just did. It, it was just so quick.
0: Yeah, I think. And I, and I wasn't you had ready. Like a couple of days, and you know, I like to go places. Sometimes strategize. Yes, you know what I mean. So yeah, you would have went out there and been like, Yo, yeah. you know, yeah. And it's just I would have felt like a chicken with my head cut off. But I appreciate that you share your knowledge. I what, have to.
1: No, you don't. You don't have to. Let me tell you why.
0: Why? Tell me. Because, let me tell you why, there's not enough of us in this game. It's not. When I go to these places, when I go to these rooms, I'm normally the only person in there. So this is why I'm giving game. You know what I'm saying? So it's not mixed enough,
1: not that diverse enough for you?
0: At all. At all. No. So I want to go in rooms and see a sister or see a brother. When you get into the fashion world, you know, you don't see no color, so that's why I'm giving game. Why do you think that that is? Oh, because they run the game. They run it. Like okay. I mean, <laughs> we don't run fashion. Do you ever
1: feel like there's people that are that are that look like us that are in fashion mm-hmm. that become gatekeepers and, and keep other people out of it? Of course, but they, to they have to. They have I don't want
0: to speak to that because no. you know. Reason being, I don't want to ruffle, ruffle no feathers. Okay. You know, and, and in this industry, people you can are very feathers. Yeah, sensitive. And they're very sensitive. But what I will say <laughs> is they're put in these positions because the higher ups knows their mentality and says, you know what? This person, let's put them in power because he's not going to or she's not going to let those dope designers in. So that's cool. And also, they look like they are empowering people of Color when they really mm. not. You know what I mean? It's all an illusion. All an illusion, but people don't know that. But it's all an illusion. And before we get out of here, let me tell you designers out there, especially you mon- m- minority designers, Virgil was one of the illest designers ever to man. When he passed away, his legacy is attached to Louis Vuitton. So every year that Virgil passes away, we show him love. We go buy a Louis piece. And we show that our love for our brother, but we're only pushing forward Louis Vuitton. So Virgil died, not owning anything, no power in Louis Vuitton. He didn't own Off-White, right? So he died with nothing left, but he kept Louis Vuitton to live for another hundred years. So my minority designers out there right now, keep working. But what I'm saying is empower yourself, empower yourself, remember, we have no legacy. We need legacy. We need to stop trying to attach ourselves to brands and believe in ourselves, and we we can do it. No, we're it. not done yet,
1: brother. I got okay. more for you. We ain't okay. done yet. No. All right. All right. All uh-uh. right. What's up? Ain't even like that. So one thing that you said, mm-hmm. and I'll touch that last piece, and that is about people attaching themselves to something greater than. Where does the mentality come from in your mind mm-hmm. when somebody to do that?
0: Oh, I mean, we we see Like the water's
1: colder somewhere else, same cup. (laughs) The
0: music we listen to. Give me more. The music we listen to, you know, it tells us that in order to be of somebody of importance, you have to have uh, a designer. You have to have a certain kind of woman. You have to have this certain kind of bravado. Being a, working a nine to five is lame. So it's just so much crap that's put into our culture that we believe. It's just prime example, right? If you go to somebody and say, Yo, I got this hoodie, it's my hoodie, it's $60, they'll tell you, Why am I gonna pay $60 when so I can get a Nike hoodie for 50 Because we put so much real estate in brands that when our brother or a minority comes with a brand, we looking at it like, Nah, man, I wanna rock with that. You know what I mean? Because we, we, don't, we don't have no self love for each other. Mm. So that's where that comes. Right. I'll give you my, my spin on it as well. Because you mm.
1: mentioned like, when people come and I, and I say, one thing is this, I think also I'm gonna, I'm gonna spin it back around to us as well. Mm-hmm. You see how you took your brand and you had the streetwear brand and you said, and when Virgil said that streetwear was done, you said, I'm gonna step up and level the game up. I'm gonna talk to creative designers right now. This is me talking to you guys right Man. now. What you said, that's a great point because sometimes people will just say good enough. We gotta get the, the, the terminology good enough out of our system. Because when we go in and picking up something that we want, we, we want it to be quality. So when we're selling, we shouldn't be, it's good enough. We should elevate it. So I like the way you elevate your clothes, the, the stuff, that, the hood you got on right now, I want it. Mm-hmm. The, this, I, because all the little, those little things that you put into it makes me say, this guy believes in his brand he's going to be around for a while. Mm-hmm. When I see somebody not try to elevate their brand, and that's not just, we're not just talking about clothing. I'm talking about my podcast. You see what I'm saying? I rented a studio so we could yeah. be here.
0: That's when I knew you
1: were serious. The equipment, right? Yep. I don't care if I got to lug it. My point is this. I know that I want to interview top-tier people. And when I say top-tier, that means everybody I interview is top-tier to me. You are as important to me as, uh, as they are because that is how the, that's how the level works. Yeah. So if we look at it like that, if we start behaving like we already made it, then I think that that would, that would really translate into something. That's my thoughts.
0: No, I, I agree with you 100%, 100%.
1: Okay, now we're gonna, give some, we're gonna give some more game for these people listening. Okay. What is a lesson that you learned from like your younger self that you, that you would take from your younger self that you've forgotten along the way as you got older?
0: Yeah, when I was younger, I was fearless. And then when you have kids and then you have responsibilities, you can't be so fearless because with fearless comes consequences. And I'm just talking about, you know, just certain times, you know, I got to the place where I had so much responsibility, I would take disrespect from my boss because I have a mortgage to pay, you know what I mean? I got kids to feed. So I'm gonna take that disrespect because I need that check. But back then I would have been like, nah, man, you talking to, don't disrespect me, I don't care. If I got my mortgages due next week and, and, and my rent, uh, and my paycheck is due next week, I'm not gonna let you disrespect me. And I lost that. It wasn't until I was a construction worker. One day my boss came in and mind you, I've stopped working four years ago. I was still doing construction, I was a laborer. And one day he came into work and he just felt like he could call me boy. And he was joking, but I wasn't joking. And I ain't like that. And that was it for me. That was the day I was like, yo, man, I'm never going to work for another person again. And I'm never going to get disrespected because the old me, the young me would never would have let that happen. But that's because I, I didn't have kids then. So when you ain't, when you don't have kids and no real responsibilities, you're fearless. So now I'm just fearless. Ever since that day, I was fearless. Like, I got that back.
1: Was it the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak?
0: Oh, yeah, like, <laughs> but it was so funny. i uh, never forget, I had a conversation with one of the guys I was working with, and I was like, listen, I ain't gonna be doing this long, and one of these days, I'm gonna be waking up, going to work in sneakers, and sweats, or whatever I wanna wear, ugly duckling, and y'all gonna know my brand, and everybody laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's crazy now. They all text me, supporting me. Like, wow, yo, you really did it. You showed me that you could do what you believe in. Yeah, so. I love the attitude that
1: you have that even though these situations happen and people laugh that when they do contact you that you realize that you take a higher role. Like what what brings that out
0: in you? What makes you like not? Humility. Mm. When you've been, listen, I tell people when you don't get that love from a father, I, uh, I never got the love from my father that a, a man wants. Or you don't get that support from a mother, right? There's nobody else that could do nothing to you. So that's why I'm humble. If you don't rock with me, I'm cool. My pop don't rock with me. So there's <laughs> nothing that you could do or say to me that's gonna bother me because I'm gonna come to you humble. You don't really matter to me as much as my father does.
1: I love what you, I love that. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah.
0: So the love that I have for my father, I don't get that back. So it's cool. That's why I come with so much humbleness. You know ah, what I'm saying? I like that. Sometimes it's crazy when people actually do see what I do and see the level of um, success it doesn't equal up to how I am. I'm so humble, bro, like I'll help you carry shit, whatever the case may be. And that's because too, I go back home to Ghana and when I go back home, it humbles me. It lets me know like, yo, you're in a good space. It could be worse, it could be worse. So whatever you going through, when you go back home, you see what they go through and they happy. When I go back home in Ghana, I be seeing people with less happy smiling, asking me, Yo, what you want? What you, what you want to eat? And I'm like, wow, you got, you got the bare minimum. The, when, when we say America bare minimum, their bare minimum is less than bare minimum. Like what? Give me, give us a... If you Shoot, can. some of them don't even have bathrooms. There's, some of them live in outhouses. You understand? Yes. In Ghana, their sewage is the side of the street. And it's open. You'd walk and you could see a kid and a mother bathing and actually pooping at the same time too. Mm. So it humbles you, humbles you. I never look down. I tell you one thing, I'm a sneakerhead, right? And in America, you cannot be caught with fakes. God forbid you caught with fakes, right? So I go to Ghana, I got all my sneakers, I'm walking around, and I see a lot of fakes. And then I, it took me aback. It was like, yo, they don't care. They don't care if you got the Jordans. They don't care if it's real or not. Because there is no Nike out there. So they can't afford it. So it just told me, like, yo, these shoes don't matter no more. I came back, sold 80% of my sneaker collection. I don't need it. It's, it's like it was a falsehood. Like, the shoes made me feel like I was important, but it's just a shoe. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> that's why I'm just going to remain humble because I don't want that. I don't want to end up, like, you know, one of my, you know, favorite designers of all time. I don't want to end up like Kanye. I don't want to end up like Kanye. You know what I'm saying? What do you mean? Meaning I still want to maintain that purity. He experienced so much at a fast rate and he's been in doors that I probably would never been into. He's seen a different life. He'll never be the same. So I want to, I don't want the start him on I don't want all that because it's, it's not going to change you. Oh, you know, no one changes after that. So I wanted to stay as humble and stay ground level. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because if I don't, I'm going to probably turn into somebody that I never thought I would. You know what I mean? So I got to stay humble. I love that. At all costs. I love that. You know, everyone is great at something. You just got to put work into it. Find what you love and just, just overly love it. love it. You know what I mean? Like. Kobe was great for a reason. LeBron's great for a reason. You Ugly know Tyson, is great for a yeah, reason. Ugly <laughs> Glenn, you're great at what you do for a reason. You put yes. in the work. You put in the work. Yes. And I attract the people that put in the work. When I watched and looked at what you did and what you do and saw how you do what you do, I was like, nah, I gotta sit down with my brother because two great minds need to talk. We need to share energy, you know what I mean? And information of that too. So that's just why I do it. Thank you, thank you. Yeah,
1: I have this qu- final question for you. All right. Um, I noticed, like, and one of the things that I do when I'm mm-hmm. in an interview person, I, I go research them. Okay. It was hard to find interviews on you. Mm-hmm. I know you said you did one interview with this podcaster, and it mm-hmm. was, but you, you told me something interesting. You said that you turned down interviews. Mm-hmm. So why, why are you somewhat reluctant to do interviews?
0: Um, because it's about the work. I want my brand to talk for itself. I don't need to be on a platform. My brand wasn't built to talk about me. My brand was built to talk about ugly ducklings out there. That's my main focus. I want my pieces to make you feel important because all of us have uh, an insecurity when we look in the mirror when no one's around. You know what I mean? As some of the flyest people, we have some of the most uh, insecurities. So I just wanted that to be the main focus. I don't want it to be about me because I didn't create this brand about me. And this is one thing, the difference between a designer. A designer is somebody who can create. Let me say this again. A designer is somebody who can create or find an issue and solve that problem. That's what a designer is. Okay, I'm going to leave you with that jewel. (laughs) And if you don't know what I mean, then I don't know what to tell you. That's why I call myself a designer. I think people are going to watch you for Mm -hmm. a
1: long time to come. I'm going to keep watching you. And I want to leave with this one. I want to thank you for one, taking the time out to share your your knowledge, but also to be open to sharing your creativity with the world, right? Because there's some designers that would sell you a piece, but they wouldn't want to have anything to do with you. Like yeah, I have very, yeah. I'm gonna buy one of your pieces. I know you gifted me one, yeah. but I intend on buying one of your pieces okay. um, because I really respect what you do. The explanation you gave for Ugly Duckling, oh, that right there, it. brother, is yeah. a quotable. what did you say it was again? Oh, understand God loves you. Understand God loves you. Yep. That's why I'm happy that you did this interview. That if, if, if that line alone yeah. makes me happy because I know that there's somebody listening, there's some kid or there's some adult yeah. That is listening, that has fear around being called or judged, and you just with that line alone. Yeah. It, you, so, thank you for, I appreciate for taking it. the time.
0: Appreciate it. Appreciate it.
1: So, before we go, mm-hmm. I want to. We talked earlier, mm-hmm. and you said you give
0: uh, my my listeners a code. Yes. So, what code can they use to buy your stuff? 95killers will use that code, and you'll get a 10%, 10% discount on our accessories, on our duffel bags, our Swan Lake duffel bags. And our Swan Lake wallets. Okay. I like your duffel bag. I I'll might have to buy it. that. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thank you so
1: much for coming out here and, no, and taking you. the time. It's been a thank pleasure, you, brother. brother.
0: Thank you, man. Uh, I'm so happy that you oh, that you did you. this interview with me. No, thank you. And everybody, <laughs> uh, once again, my name is Francis London. The brand is called Ugly Duckling. We spell it U G L Y D U K L Y N dot com. Yeah, man, check us out. We're on, uh, on Instagram. Instagram. Too. Ugly Duckling. Yeah, all social media platforms. I'll put in the show notes. And I'm also, what okay. I'm going to
1: do is I'm going to also, you know, I promote this. So we're going to, we're going to, you're going to be a bunch of stuff.
0: Oh, it. yeah. No thank problem. Thank you, brother. All right. Thank you. All right. All right.
1: Thank you for tuning into the 95 Killers podcast. You can now visit us at 95killers.com. We truly appreciate your continued support. Without you, this couldn't be possible. Take care of yourselves and keep killing those comfort zones. Until next time, peace.